Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Performance Anxiety, proud member of the excellent Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm joined by Ryan Smith and Pony Hickson Smith of Ryan and Pony on this episode. They tell me about their paths into music, and Ponies in particular is very unique. She also tells me how she got the nickname Pony. Ryan remembers it well. And Ryan's been writing music for a long time. From his days in the Melismatics to the new album by Ryan and Pony, his music is crazy catchy. But he's also been playing guitar in Soul Asylum since 2016. He talks about getting that gig and how he's dealing with the touring shutdown. Follow Ryan and Pony on social media and pick up their debut album on Pravda Records. You'll be happy you did. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. And if you like the podcast, check us out at Kofi. That's ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. And consider helping support us so we can keep bringing you great guests. And don't forget to check out all the other great shows on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Now let's settle up and jump right into this episode with Ryan and Pony on performance anxiety. This is Ryan and Pony, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety. Thank you guys for coming on. I've been listening to the album a lot, and it's really cool. I'm really Thanks. enjoying it. And uh, I kind of want to find out more about how you got to the point of making this album before we actually get into the album. And I know you guys have a really interesting and unique story, especially you, Pony. And um, I do want to find out a little bit about how you guys got into music in the first place. So were you, did you guys grow up in musical households? Um, did, you, did you start playing at a young age or was it more something as you got older that interests you? Pony, you want to go first? Well, I always wanted to do it. And uh, I mean, I would dabble a little bit here and there, like in elementary school. I took violin for a little bit of time. It was a super expensive instrument. Yeah. So I didn't get to keep doing it. <laughs> And then um, I had friends who would take piano lessons and then they'd show me what they learned on the piano. And then uh, I played the flute and I hated, I hated the flute. I did not. <laughs> I just started going two, two into the thing. And I was, ugh. You know, I wanted to play the drums, of course, and everyone wanted to. And then I'm like, well, a saxophone. But yeah, I didn't get to, so I definitely didn't keep up the flute. And, uh, <laughs> no, that's why I'm not hearing the flute in, in Ryan and Pony. <laughs> um, and then my dad always knew I wanted to play guitar ever since I was like six or seven. I'd always been asking them to get me one. And then my dad got me a guitar at a garage sale for like five bucks. 
Oh, cool. Went well. So then I played that and they saw that I kept doing it. So then they bought my electrical electric guitar at 15. And so I just always did that. They didn't like, I had to learn from other friends. So I didn't take lessons. Now your parents are hearing impaired. So was, how was music a big part of, of growing up? Was it a big part of your household? Well, my dad, um, they're culturally deaf and, uh, that's a better term. Okay. Um, my, my dad always listened to music. He has aphasia, so he can hear sounds and he can, he, like right now he could tell we are talking, but his brain can't process the speech oh, okay. and, and he cannot speak. So he was more, like I saw him as more like mute, but he, he has to communicate through sign language though, ASL. But he always, he always had music going on and he got me into classic rock. That's really what I was really into. So. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That getting you into good stuff early on, then. Mm-hmm. Right, Ryan, Ryan, how did you get into music? Well, I discovered music through my dad's record collection. I remember probably being, I don't know, three or something and sorting through his records. Nice. And he had the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan, and a bunch of folk records. He was really into folk music. But the Beatles really what, you know, that's what really caught my eye. I think it was Revolver and... Uh, and then uh, Rubber Soul. Those two records like blew my mind. Those were the first two Beatles records I ever. My my, I did the same thing through my mom's record collection because my dad was more into bluegrass and and uh, opera. He had a bunch of like Carl Orff and Man of La Mancha soundtracks and things like that. But but my mom had Elton John and the Beatles and Rubber Soul and Revolver were the first two that I grabbed too. So oh yeah, they're they're the best to start with. It's oh, crazy. Like it just captivated my imagination like yours you know sounds like it was just like it blew my mind yeah and then uh so i loved music but um i thought i wanted to go into science i wanted to go into i don't know specifically what build robots or do something crazy like that Oh, cool and then uh it was sixth grade i didn't play flute like she did but i played trombone Oh, which actually is on the uh, Ryan and Pony album, believe it or not. And uh, and I mean, the trombone is so funny because it doesn't seem like a glamorous instrument to play on any level. But the first time the school band played and I heard a drummer and I was playing and I, I just couldn't believe that sound was coming from us. And I was grinning so intensely that I couldn't even play. And I was just looking around. I'm like. How is nobody freaking out that we're making this sound like this is blowing my mind? And so, I mean, the rush I got from that was so intense that that was like, I'm like, I'm putting science aside. Now I'm going to be a musician. And then I was like full throttle into doing anything I could to, to learn how to play, you know, guitar and you know, using friends' drum kits to learn how to play their drums and like just, you know, I just like full, I, I, I immersed myself in it in whatever way is possible. And that's, that's that. That's how I started, you know. When did you guys start playing out in public in bands, starting your first bands? How old were you? And Pony, how about you? 19, 19, I think, or 20. Yeah. I had okay. a band called The Hundred Flowers and we played it like some warehouse we just play warehouses and oh, cool. basement parties like prior to that basement parties yeah okay okay yeah. Brian, how about and you from, uh I, I uh started playing my first i picked up a guitar in seventh grade so whatever age you are there i don't remember but uh 
Yeah, I got to go work backwards. My yeah, kids are, my, we got to work backwards. I got three kids in high school, and I just I can't remember how old you are in third. Yeah, grade. that is terrible parenting right there. Yeah, it's all right. Just, it's seventh grade. Let's yeah. say seventh grade. I picked up a guitar and two weeks later did my first gig and it was like a paid gig. We were playing like Metallica and Thrax and like thrash metal stuff uh, for some kind of company party at a, I think it was Pizza Hut or something. (laughs) But that was my first gig. And I remember we were playing just like, you know, it was with the older kids. I was seventh grade and it was like one of my friend's older brother. They were seniors in high school and they could play, you know? And so it was like, I was hanging on for dear life, but Oh. It was really fun. So that was my first gig. And then I had a high school band that played like 7th Street Entry and, uh, the you know, the clubs in, in town. So that would have been probably starting at age 16-ish. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. And now, I, I, Tony, I have a question specifically for you. And, and feel free to answer it or tell me it's, it, you know, move on. Okay. How did you get the name Pony? Because that's not your given name. Right. Um, I, I played bass for the singer songwriter named Mark Malman. Okay. And, um, there's already another cat in the music scene and people kept getting me confused with the other cat. And I was like, ah, I'm getting tired of it. And I thought I was, I was working out in songwriting and I thought I was going to put on an album. I'm like, okay, I don't want to be confused. Like what's a good name for me. And I, on tour, I'd walk around, I'd have a pony backpack on my back. Okay. And it, it was either, it was Malman and Peter and they're like, how about pony? And, and then Malman started to like make it. I don't know if you've ever seen Mark Malman, but, uh, he'll like go off in tangents and in, in the middle of a song on stage <laughs> and they're like, play honey. And then he'll start, he started like, pony, you know, and he just shout my name. <laughs> start like doing this like horse kind of you know like a like more like a bull like kind of you know drawing its foot okay and and then he started making other like jokes like pony doesn't want any indie rock dudes there are three things that pony loves and he would just go on and on and and then it stuck it was like okay i'm pony now wow you know people just come up to me and that's how they would that's what they call me Uh, because I've seen you at the shows, and that's how if that's how he's introducing you. That's what they know you as. Yeah, yeah. Well, the funny thing is, because we all have our perspectives of this, it's funny. I actually remember the first time that she was called Pony, because I was standing right behind. Uh, it was uh, we were walking upstairs to rehearsal space. I was also playing with Mark Moment, and uh, she was wearing that backpack. Mark was standing in front of me, and he just turned around. And he goes, "Let's call her Pony." So we just because we saw her backpack. <laughs> So that was like, and that was the first I'd ever heard that nickname. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I can pinpoint it to the exact moment. I don't know when it was, but it was, you know, yeah. I, I can see the. I, I remember that now, too. Like, I remember, like, the look, and it was like that moment of, like, yeah. But, that's you know, I, it didn't solidify for me till on stage. Okay. And it's a very unique name, though. I, it's, as soon as I saw the album come up and, and, and uh, Ryan and Pony, yeah. Yeah, I wish it was my real name. I want to change my name to that. My mom might get upset, but I really want to. I won't tell her. But. Okay. So how did now? Oh, hi. It's a cat. Yeah, we got, we got lots of animals here. There's, you might see some more, but that's oh, okay. Oh, no problem. No problem. You you won't see my dog running around because my daughter has him oh. chained up in her room right now. Oh, yeah. So okay. Otherwise, he, he might go nuts. Yeah. But mm-hmm. All right, so... 
at what point did you guys decide that music was what you guys were going to do for a living? Because, Ryan, you said, I mean, was it in that middle school band or and, and Pony? When was I, it for I think, you? I think for me it was then. It's weird because it's such a bad idea, you know, in all <laughs> ways to decide I'm going to play music for a living. Yeah. But I mean, I really like wanted to commit to it. I didn't want to have anything to fall back on. So I didn't want to like study to be a, you know, an accountant or something. I wanted to just like, I wanted to be like, I must do this, right. um, for this to work. And, uh, uh, so really like, I, I, I kind of knew at that moment that that's what I was going to do. And I never, since I barely ever had moments where I go back and rethink, maybe I should do something else. I think I've been pretty happy with, you know, with, with doing it. And, right. uh, um, and it's, it's, you know, very luckily worked, you know, so in that regard, yeah, I, I've known since then, I haven't really looked back since, so. That's cool. And Pony, was it something that you knew early on too, or was it after hitting the stage or something? I always, um, I always knew I wanted to do music, like, it, um, oddly enough, maybe I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but in an LSD trip when I was like 14, <laughs> I felt like something told me to do that. Um, I don't believe in that, but I, at that time, I don't think that's something you need to do. Um, I'm not proud of that. Don't try LSD. <laughs> so really, like, it became like, I'm going to do this as a living when I married Brian, basically. And I joined the Melismatics, and he's like, you can do it. I don't do it as a full 100% way to make my living. Because okay. I, I just never thought, I don't feel like teaching or tried it, but... Um, yeah, I just, I, have a, I like to do other things too, and that yeah. helps inspire my songwriting. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, yeah. Were you guys always writing your own original music since, ever since the beginning, or did that, is that something that kind of grew as your bands changed? Because you guys met with uh, Mark Malman, right? And then, well, yeah, we, we, we met with Mark Malman, but Mellis Maddox had existed prior to that with okay. a different lineup. So, so that was, uh, that band has been around forever. And yeah, I know for me, songwriting actually came hand in hand with like learning how to play. Like the first like steps of learning how to play guitar, I was trying to write stuff with it. It was like a, the whole point of playing guitar was to write songs. So yeah. that was like to me, that's what it was all about. So I started writing immediately upon like figuring out how to move my fingers around on a, on an instrument. Oh, so that's awesome. Pony, what about you? And, and am, am I correct in assuming that Ryan and Pony, you guys are kind of just, it's a collaboration songwriting collaboration between the two of you, right? It's a, uh, you know, I mean, it's always a collaboration on whatever level, you know, like a lot of songs that made this record, you know, due to timing and stuff like I had heavily written and then we together put, you know, like her personality and like, I mean, it, it all comes together. Like there, there, it's uh, hard to um, really like quantify, you know, it's just like yeah. there's a, uh, a personality that comes from just working on anything together, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I, I'll take it. <laughs> that worked for me. And I, I've watched some videos of Melismatics and all, and um, Pony, you're really um, animated on stage. You're very, you you have a lot of energy, and mm -hmm. is is that something that kind of did it grow out of 
growing up in a, in a house with with uh, your parents being culturally deaf, or, or is that just, is it just something else? Yes, um, American Sign Language is incredibly expressive, and then. Like my dad and I, we'd always watch things that were intense, like or like we were into WWF wrestling, and yes. we watched that. And I would, I think some of it is has to do with some of that. And I just get incredibly energized when I'm on stage. If something happens where I'm just like, you know, I just ah, and then I just have to get it, you know, out. And and sometimes it's some things are spontaneous, some aren't. And just going with how the moment feels. Um, but it has a lot to do, I think, with my upbringing. It comes through in the, vo- in the vocal performances, too, because, you know, your vocal performances are very expressive. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I absolutely loved about the uh, Ryan and Pony album. It, it was your vocals. I think they mm-hmm. were just very animated. It, it's very a lot of emotion coming through in the vocals without even seeing you perform them. Yeah. So... The Melismatics were actually a band before you guys joined them? Well, the Melismatics were a band that I started, like, probably at, okay. I think it was maybe just right out of high school. Okay. And then we just had a different lineup. So we had another guitar player before before Pony joined. So okay. I met her through Mark Mullman. I think I saw her play, and I was like, you know, I'm going to put her, I, like, I'm going to steal her into this band. And... uh and then, you know, things worked out. I don't even re- honestly remember exactly what happened, but somehow we, you know, our, we lost guitar player and gained a guitar player. So okay. it all kind of worked out. Melismatics literally it was a, a vocab word on a test. The story basically goes like I I uh, had a gig. I had the first gig, didn't have a band name, and it was like super new. That's how I always fly by the seat of my pants. Like you know, let's do this. Like right. book the show before we got the band, and then we needed. A, you know, the, the the venue said, well, we need to put a name in because like it's you know we got to put in the paper. What are you, what's the name of the band? Right. And I just like sense. took a pencil and. Whoop, the mel, you know, melismatic was the vocab word, which means multiple notes on a single lyrical syllable. So, okay. like if you're singing an ah and you sing, you know, a bunch of notes on an ah, that's a melisma. So I just said, well, the melismatics, and I had every intention of changing that band name, <laughs> you know, and then we never changed it. It just stuck. So, yeah, it's worked out because you guys have really carved out a name for yourself. It worked literally I guess, figuratively, I guess. Literally figuratively. <laughs> I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like nobody else thought to name their band that, which is cool. <laughs> but it's also really hard to pronounce because we'd be on tour and people would be like, "What?" Uh, you know, they call it, they butcher the name of the band. Like people would go like Melismatics, or they spell it wrong. It was like straight out of Spinal Tap. And like, bands that people you know. like friend on the road kind of would make fun of us a little bit too. Like, oh, you should have picked an easier name. Well, yeah, it's like a hard name to pronounce, hard name to remember. You know, like if you, you know, but but it still worked because of the fact that nobody else would be stupid enough to name their band that. <laughs> but, it, it, but it's musical too. It's a musical term. It is. So yeah. That works out really awesome. 
And you guys have put out what, like seven studio albums. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. You end up playing Lollapalooza. Yeah, and I have I have a question about that. You guys, a lot of your music has ended up on TV. You guys were you won Last Band Standing. How does all that work? I mean, first of all, I guess we can hit the uh, songs ending up on TV. How do you? Yeah. How do you, you write a song? You think it's good? How do you? How does it get on a TV show? serious i think on our end too i mean every album we put out has been with some label and some publisher that does that kind of thing okay and i think it's just like it's partial you know there's probably a little luck in that and the fact that like it resonates with somebody who's doing programming on a show and then it seems like it kind of opens a floodgate because then once like somebody uses it then it was like there was a time i think uh we are second to last album was called mania and i feel like there was a time where like mtv like was using it like every day on some thing you oh, know wow. and it was just like so obviously they you know somebody there i don't know how it works you know but somebody was what like it? responding to it well and thought it was like it fit the moment so yeah well, um it, you know good quality songwriting and, and somebody in the right spot liking it so that's yeah that's that's when how did Last band standing. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Because that was a few years ago. I kind of remember yeah. that, but I'm, you well, got to refresh my memory on that one. Right. What it was is that it was like a worldwide contest that started with, I can't even remember, like a ridiculous amount of bands, like from around, the, you know, anywhere in the world, right. submitting music to get to some other level. I think they're like, I don't remember how many levels to be totally honest, like three or four levels of, um, you know, like of, online voting and all this kind of jazz. Okay. And then it ended up with a show in Chicago at the double door. And that was like a really intense moment. So I think it was like the top five bands that were like still in the running. Oh, wow. Played a show at the double door in Chicago. And, uh, it was really intense and really kind of fun and, and, you know, scary at the time, you know, and, and, uh, it went well. I think we played well. And I remember some of the judges were like, coming up to us after saying like, you know, they were like, we want to make sure, you know, nothing happens. You guys, you, you got to win this because, you know, nice. you got to make sure nothing goes wrong. So I remember, I forget the, the guy's name, singer summer from Chicago, Michael McDonald, or I can't remember his name, but I'm going to butcher it. But I remember specifically, <laughs> he was like making sure he didn't want to leave until he knew we won. Cause he was like, he felt that that was the way to go. Um, so for whatever reason, there were cool bands though. We made some friends there from, there was a band from Mexico and, uh, was, what, there was some, a couple other countries represented there and it was, oh, cool. it was really fun. You know, we, we had a blast. I remember we, we really it was fun. had a good time and, and we then, played our hearts out. We just like, we were, we played like a 20 minute set and we were just drenched in sweat and like we could have <laughs> walked off stage dead at that. Like yeah. we, we put, we left it all on the stage, you know, that's awesome. Blood in the guts, like. 
I, I, I would have loved it. Okay, do you have any video of that? Is there any recordings? Of I that? don't think so. I, I wish. Yeah, I wish. Like, I yeah. can't believe that. It we seems so obvious in hindsight. Yeah. Why did we not video yeah. that? But, Cause, yeah. you know. Seeing the, the live clips that I did see, if you guys did, you know, put all that effort into it, I want to see what Pony did on stage at that point because she's so energetic on stage anyway. Yeah. I would have, you know, concentrating it all into a, a 20 minute do or die set must have been an incredible show. I want to make sure I get this right because I've seen a lot of clips on YouTube and you're not Salvatore. No. No, okay. Uh, so you don't work at IHOP anymore? No. Okay, so that gig's gone. All right, so I did, I've noticed a running theme with a lot of stuff that I, in my research and it, it all tends to do with coffee and pancake or pancakes. <laughs> So, yeah. it, it, you guys, is, is that your pre-show meal of choice or... Well, coffee on a is like our fuel. <laughs> you know, coffee was like, oh my God, we, we drink coffee. Like, and I still do. She doesn't drink it so much anymore because of like other health reasons. But yeah, my wife's just saying coffee that. was always like a critical <laughs> of, the, of the formula. And uh, I think the pancakes was like, because... We got, you know, we spent so much time on the road and it was like the tour, the stops would be like, we stop at IHOP. And actually Salvatore was a good friend of ours that we met in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. And he literally worked at an IHOP. And, oh, he uh, stood out. Yeah, and he, he stood, stood out and out. we'd kind of be friends him. So every time we go to that IHOP, we'd be like, it's Salvatore. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so we had and everywhere you know we kind of like did so much of that road stuff that we were uh we just got used to certain restaurants and and it was just you know it's comfort food on the road it's like pancakes and you know yeah and you know yeah. And, yeah yeah and you know if you're on the road and you got to play that night you don't want to eat something you're not sure how uh how yeah right how's that gonna go over you know deal. exactly yeah. so how's salvatore doing these days um, well, sadly, yeah, sadly, he actually died. He did die. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah. I may have sadly, to edit yeah. that part out. Yeah, yeah. They don't know. It's like an unsolved mystery. Really it's weird. very weird. Yeah. It's, wow. This just yeah. went from awesome show to unsolved mystery. I know. I know. Wow. It's really sad, I'm but sorry. yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Are right, you guys just threw me off my game here a little bit? So, all right. <laughs> sorry. Because I was going to say you might. After watching that video, you might want to see a doctor about those two-hour-long bathroom trips. Yeah, well, that was part of the, that was part of the funny thing. Uh, it was like long, we had to make it long enough where they could have this meeting and stuff. Yeah. And we thought, well, we might not extend it to like hours, you know? Now, I, like I thought it was great. I loved it. They, they cracked me as soon as I saw two hours later, and you come back, I'm like. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but see, and that's one of the things that I loved about watching these clips is that you can see the, the band, you guys all have a great sense of humor. <laughs> so I love seeing that. And it comes across in the shows and in the, the little video clips, like the, the one I saw about the deodorant. And uh, oh, yeah. That resonates with me. That, that makes me want to come see a show. So. Hopefully things will open up and we actually get to see some shows soon. I know, yeah, we, yeah, we'll see about that, right? Yeah. How did you end up playing in Soul Asylum? How did that whole connection well, start off? Um, yeah, I, it, it's a long, kind of long time coming in a sense of like we've known those guys, we've known them for a long time. We noticed there was this period of time where they started ramping up, like they they asked us to open for them. 
numerous times. I think Dave sat in with us like at First Avenue, like he flew out from he was living in uh, New Orleans at the time. Oh, okay. And he flew to sing it, to sing one song with us. <laughs> and we're like, well, that's interesting. Wow. You know, it was at First Avenue, and he just sang one song with us. For and, replacements. For right. You. Yep. You know. oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, for, for a show at First Avenue, which we had guest singers for everything, but it was cool. Like, it was like, oh, Dave flew out for that. And Michael sat in on that show, and I think maybe one other one, too. And we just noticed they were doing a lot of uh, activities with us, and... and uh, and then it kind of was mysterious from there. It turned into emails saying, can you learn, you know, these songs, can you show up on this date? And then it was like the first, I think there were like 25 songs or something like that. And then basically showed up, ran it down. And it was like playing a show and they were like, okay, can you come back tomorrow? Ran the show again. And they said, can you go to Texas and Philadelphia this weekend? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and then it was from there, like, then they said, can you go on tour? And then they were like, you're, you know, you're in the band. Wow. Yeah. Were you aware of anybody, of them trying anybody else out? Or was it just they wanted, they, they liked you and they wanted to just make sure you were the guy? I, they, they definitely tried out other people, but I, you know, I think they kind of knew uh, on some level that it could potentially be a fit. I think had their feelers out and they were probably looking at a bunch of options. And I know they did audition like other people yeah. at that time. It wasn't like I was the only one. It just was, but, so it, you know, it's. It was kind of like Last Band Standing. We're like, you know, we want this to work yeah. out for you. We just got to make sure. Except, yeah, except no one ever explains anything. Yeah. Like, so it was very mysterious. Like, <laughs> like I don't know. I, I was like just not telling anybody anything because I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, I, you know, literally don't know what's going on or why any of this is happening or wow. where it's going. So, you know. That's pretty wild. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. I've got a, a little Soul Asylum uh, story, and it's, it has nothing to do with me. But it has to do with a, another guest I had on the show, a, a, I guess about a year ago. Uh, her name's Mikal Tauber. Okay. And she's, she's a singer, pop singer, and all. she... Uh, she got a, her first record deal when she was like 17 years old. And it's a yeah. really cool episode. But she was on the road most of her, like her senior year in high school. And I'm trying to remember how, I think uh, Dave Perner may have produced her, her first, soul, her debut album. So she asked him to prom. And he went with her. So, That's crazy. Yeah. Ask him about that. Ask him. Yeah, her name is Mikal Tauber. M-I-C-H-A-L-T-O-W-B-E-R. So she's from Minneapolis, obviously. No, she's from New York nope. City. Okay. Wow. But like I said, I think, I think he produced her demos or her, for her debut oh, album. Oh, like, so he was out of high school. Oh, yeah. He, he was, was way out of high school. He was... Oh. This was like Gravedigger's Union had already... Had, it was either oh. out or had already... Had, was like... In the it was history, so he was already a name, in, you know, in music. Wow! And oh, she's wow. like, "Yeah, can you, uh, you know, will you go to prom with me?" And he was like, uh, "Sure." She showed me the prom pictures. It's hilarious. <laughs> that's crazy. I'll, yeah, that's, you got to ask I'll me about ask that. About that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that's that's my soul asylum connection. And my my daughter just showed up with a shark hat that she's gonna put on. Whoa! Yeah. Oh, nice. Man, that's pretty awesome. Hi. That's a nice shark hat. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty sweet. Cool. All right, well, I'm going to put it aside 
here. Okay, so how, and you've been with Soul Asylum now for four years? About four years, yeah. It's 2016, yeah. Okay. Has working and playing with those guys so often, has it influenced your songwriting at all? You know, I think there's always a little bit of a simpatico with like the kind of, you know, the vibe and the way that we play. Because I remember like when the Melismatics were kind of a new band, I remember the guys that like the stage manager at First Avenue said like, you guys remind me of Soul Asylum when they were a new band. Like that's oh. what, you know. So I, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's influenced. It probably has in some way, but, um, you know, but there's always kind of been a little bit of a thing where I feel like, I don't know. There's, it's, it's not the same by any means, but right. there's like, you know, but I think we, we probably have some of the same influences and, and, uh, you know, Dave, I clicked, I feel like we clicked like right away. It was yeah. kind of like, felt like we've been playing together forever. And so it was like, it just right away. It didn't feel like it was, I got to get to know you. It was kind of like, Oh, we kind of just, yeah. You know, you, you just, got that chemistry automatically. Yeah. Like right away. It was just weird. Like, so yeah, it probably has in a subconscious way. I don't, okay. I don't, I definitely don't think about it and go like, I'm going to write something more <laughs> yeah. like solo song now, you know, and right. everything I think on everything on the Ryan and Pony album is pre soul asylum, like song wise. for the most part, a lot of those songs were like, I think I had started writing like 75 songs for this album before even soul asylum had even contacted me. So, and they weren't all recorded, but they were like demos that had been started and like, oh, okay. So, so, so a lot of that stuff, it's like, if anything is like, sounds influenced in that way it's not you know nothing on this album was in any way so that's really because um, the reason i asked is because i was as i was listening to it every time trouble in mind came up oh yeah that sounds like that definitely sounds like it's got a little bit of a soul asylum feel to it song that was the probably the latest one okay that was like so that one maybe did actually have some kind of subconscious rub off from like the whole thing okay. so yeah good good ear on that yeah. that's like, yeah for a non-musician <laughs> so what brought the ryan and pony project together how did you guys start it and you said it you, you started writing years ago so what what brought it together what made you actually start to to focus on it well, it was 2012, right? When we made our last Melismatics album. And, uh, I think the other guys in the band, you know, were, were getting, and maybe we were all getting a little burnout. We spent a lot of time on the road and it was like, we were not, it was just like relentless and we were tired and, and kind of burnt out. But I know I didn't want to stop at the time, but I think the other guys did. I don't think Pony wanted to stop either. And, uh, the original idea was like, you know, let's stop take a break and start a new band. And I think we were even kicking around some names. Like we had the cosmic shakes was a name and, uh, we were on the label Pravda records, which this album's coming out on. And, uh, they said, why would you like change your band name? That has nothing to do with the melismatics. That doesn't make any sense. They said, you should call your band Ryan and pony. 
And I was okay. at first, my first reaction was like, that's weird. You know? <laughs> but then I thought about it and I was like, well, you know, Matt and Kim and Peter Bjorn and John and there's, you know, yeah. there's all these bands. I'm like, I'm like, oh, that actually makes sense. And then we have our identity from what we're doing before in some weird way. And, and, uh, you know, we always had this thing where I just on stage, I was wearing stripes and she would always wear polka dots. And it was like, oh, really? Okay. We kind of had this thing going. We're like, oh, we can accentuate those things. You know, like the things that we did before can now become like, full uh, like fully realized in this right right and i think the original idea was going to be we were going to get a bunch of guest singers and uh on the album um of different people because we had been you know mel's max for a long time and we had worked with uh cool musicians that we really like like john hour was a friend i saw ken stringfell was on the show like yes um well, well, you know, people like them, you know, we were just trying to like, we, the idea was going to be, we're going to make an album with us and then involve all these people that we've known over the years, you know, like to, to guest on it. But then the guesting thing never, I don't know, it just didn't happen. And it got like, the album was coming together so well without adding other people into it that it was like, it just didn't seem like there was room for adding these guest appearances on everything. So it was like... So then it was just like, well, these songs are done. This is the album, you know? Yeah. So. And did you guys do all the, uh, play all the instruments on the album? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Usually. Yeah, totally. Well, with uh, Peter Anderson played drums. Yeah. Okay. So Peter Anderson is a drummer from, uh, he's in the Ocean Blue, um, another Minneapolis band called uh, Run Westy Run. They've been around for a million years. And at any rate, like, so usually I would just build up a demo. Like I, so when I start a song, play all the instruments and then have like pony come in and then we'd send that to Peter. Peter would put his part on there. So, um, I usually give Peter like a drum track that I played to give him an idea of what I was thinking. And then okay. he's, he's awesome. So he always just like takes it to another level and, and, uh, and that, that's how we did it, you know? Okay. All right, so I, I got to tell you this before I forget because my memory's just shot. Three teenage kids in the house, my memory's gone. Yeah. But I was, I'm friends with Ken Stringfellow on Facebook and had been for a while because when I first started getting into Facebook, I started following bands and the people in those bands that I liked because a lot of the bands I liked were inactive. So I'd follow like Jordan Zetterosny, Ken Stringfellow. So just to see what they're doing because I figured yeah. even if they're, bands that I loved weren't active. Maybe they were in a new project that I just wasn't aware of yet. So. <laughs> we got a dog hawking up over here. Sorry. Oh, no problem. That is staying in. I'm going to have to do a lot of editing, but that's staying in. That's staying in. Yeah. So I live in Winchester, Virginia, and I'm, this was oh, um, probably February of this year, maybe, maybe early, really early March. I just get a, a direct message from Ken Stringfellow on Facebook. Like, That's weird. He does a lot of work with Jordan from Blink of the Star, and I'm, I'm good friends with Jordan. So I figured, okay, maybe you know, Jordan had just come out with a single, or maybe he's just telling me about that. Maybe it's just like one of those blast messages. But it says, hey, Mark, I'm playing a show in, in Winchester. I'd love for you to come out. Like, okay, it's kind of weird. But the venue's like literally five minutes from my house. So I type in... Yeah, I'll be there. So he goes, great. Do you know anybody who has keyboards? <laughs> uh, 
I, yeah, actually, I think I might. What, what are you looking for? And he, he tells me, like, okay, it needs to be something like this with weighted keys. And I'm like, let me check with my kid's guitar teacher and see if he, <laughs> he's got it. And I, I threw it out. And he's, he's like, yeah, I've got that. That's okay. The, um, Ken Stringfellow from the Posies wants to borrow it when he's in town for the show. I was, let me let me just hook you guys together so you can kind of work this out and I don't have to be the middleman anymore. So they worked it out. Ken came the day before, uh, the day of the show, went over to my uh, kid's guitar teacher's place, picked up the keyboards and played the whole show with it. We met up after the show or dur- before the show and he's like, hey man, thanks for the, for the keyboards. I really appreciate it. I would have been kind of stuck with it. Hey, uh, my pleasure. It's just kind of really weird, but yeah. I'm glad I could help out. So... And I brought my camera. I was, I was a photographer for ages and uh, got some shots of him during the show and uh, haven't really spoken to him since. So he's not keeping up the direct messages anymore. Yeah. Is that, is, was that a Ken solo show or was it a Posey show? It was a solo show. It was, it was really cool because he was uh, touring the Touched album that came out that was released on September 11th, 2001. Oh, wow. That was the release date. So... Oh. He, he toured it as soon as he was able to, which was like two weeks after September 11th. And um, he, he, uh, it was uh, Mercury Lounge was the first stop on that tour in New York. And he, yeah. he got a, a message from them saying that it's the 25th anniversary of Mercury Lounge and they wanted to revisit their favorite uh, shows of the past 25 years and his was one of them. So, wow. so he's like, Okay. He's like, you know what? I'll just do the touched album. And he started at the Mercury Lounge in New York and he just started, he's like, you know what? I want to just do a whole tour like this. And it was just him on keyboards and the solo guitar. And that was, and he played the entire touched album. And then he played a couple other songs from some of his other solo stuff. He had an opening act, another solo singer, uh, Karen Allen. She came up and, and sang a couple songs with him as for the encore and that was it but there was like it was in a, a very small venue like 35 people it was just it was like so it was like a private Ken Stringfellow show it was amazing wow so that's one of the reasons why I love doing this show I get I get connected with some awesome people like you guys Ken Stringfellow Mikhail who knows Dave Perner uh, yeah you know we're <laughs> shit with this show it's great <laughs> but this show is not about me it is about you guys so let's get back to to the Ryan Pony album actually one of the first things that struck me was the album art because my youngest daughter is a huge anime fan and you've got this really cool anime versions of you guys for the cover art, is that something that you guys are into or was it just spur of the moment? It sounds good or? It kind of all came together in this weird magical way because okay. it was like, so through Soul Asylum, I met this artist who does, her name is Sarah Miscavige and she did, she does all of that art. She did some for Soul Asylum as well. Okay. And when it came time to make the first video, um, I, I, I always wanted, and I think we probably both always kind of had this idea of, doing animation like versions of ourselves. And I was like, well, here's the person to do this. Like we now have like, this is, you know, she's the bomb. She can do this. And so we made this video for a song called fast as I can, which was, you know, it's like a single that's from the record. Yeah. She did that. And because of the way the video looked, she was like, pony's hair has got to be blue. 
So okay. then it was like, okay, so now Pony needs blue hair. So she <laughs> kind of worked out a, a nerd. I yeah. saw the, the promo picture. Yeah. I love that way. I need to get two. Um, I'm ordering another one. I'm hoping it comes. We'll be ready by the time I perform because they don't last. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they kind of fall apart. Something about blue hair. And then the, the rest of the artwork kind of came in. It, it was obvious that she should be the one to do the artwork because, and then and it all really just started tying together. Yeah. Um, you know, through that. Um, I, I've, I've always admired anime, but I don't like follow it, you know, that much. And we got some friends that are really anime. This band, Radkey, they're friends of ours from, uh, they're, they're a punk band, awesome band, but they're really like major fans of anime. Like they write songs about it and stuff. Oh, wow. But so I've never, I've never gotten into it that much, but I thought it was cool. And I've always really just liked that, you know, that whole look of it. And then weirdly the album, the title Moshi Moshi was already set. Oh, and really? Yeah. That, that's how it'd been around for a long time. And it was like, whoa, there's anime and Moshi Moshi. And it was actually whole- going to be a melismatics title. Originally, yeah, it got voted out. It got oh. voted out because our band name was so hard and to pronounce. Ryan and I like, really wanted it. You know, really wanted it. Now we're like, we can now. That is, so, you know, that's a good point though. When your band name is diff- is difficult, probably using Japanese is not. Uh, yeah, a, it's just point. it's just like having a bunch of stuff people can't pronounce and yeah. don't know what it means. You probably but, could have done it in just kanji, and it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> The Mel- I don't know how I don't know how you would do the melismatics in kanji, but that would be pretty crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you mentioned fast as I can, and I, I love that song. That is so damn catchy. That is such a great song. Pretty sweet, like metal screech. I don't know what, how to pronounce that, but but like that roar, th- roaring vocal you do on Thunder Love. And all. Oh yeah, that's pretty damn cool. Thanks. Dinosaur. Yeah. Yes, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. The dinosaur scream. I think I did on the on the uh, I would die for you, the Prince yes. uh, version of two. Yeah, it was a that went back to the melismatics. It was a thing I just started doing and like and. Uh, but yeah, it's on. It's on. It makes it makes its way on the this record a few times. So it does. Uh, my favorite, I think, my favorite song on the album though is uh, "First Night," because it's like this really cool slinky song, and then it sounds like Caius comes in, does yeah. this, a guitar solo, and then leaves, and then yeah. the song goes back to being <laughs> yeah. slinky again. It's yeah. freaking awesome.
of weirdly the first song for this record because <laughs> and it was like literally about rebirth and i mean we had just had a new we had we literally had our child who's now six oh. and we were starting a new band and we were like everything was new and that song was kind of about rebirth and and it was the first song that was like this is for this new record That's um so yeah so there's it's funny that yeah i can see the kaius thing like walking yeah. in and just like walking right back out yeah like josh homie uh, coming in and just yeah crashing out of solo and see you yeah <laughs> so how did you guys pick the prince cover that you did you, you, you did i would die for you well i think if i remember right it was literally when prince had just died and it, and and it was like um, I would do these acoustic gigs and I feel like uh, I, I started covering it because I was like, Prince just died. That song is like all these new levels of meaning. And and yeah. and it's such a great song. I always love that one and Pony loved it. And I think we were just sitting around one day and, and we decided, well, let's try this. And and it was like, well, let's try this as Joy Division. Joy Division like yeah. kind of like how would Joy Division play this song? Because oh, awesome. like, what's the point of doing a cover, right? When you just do it exactly like the original. Thank you. you know? Yes. So... And then it yeah. became a live staple. We would always end the show with that song. Well, always. I mean, it was like we didn't play a ton of shows because <laughs> it was a new project. But the shows we did play, that our would be first show was at, our first show was at First, first Avenue. Avenue. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. In fact, the, the video that came out yesterday for Cinematic, which is a song on the new record, that video was shot at our first gig. That was our first gig. Wow. So, so that was like, so the videos, been, you know, the footage had been around for, for a little while, but you know, from the beginning of doing this basically. So, but yeah, that's, uh, I totally forgot what we were, what the question was. Uh, but, oh, how did you oh, pick that? Yeah. Yeah. How did um, you pick that? The Prince song. Yeah. Yeah. Ceremony by well, it's New Order, the last Joy Division song, the first New Order song. You know, goes so we were like starting that and just kind of going from there, and we just played it like we thought Joy Division would play the song. Oh, that's awesome! For fun, you know, that's awesome. So when you said Joy Division and New Order, I'm like, oh yeah, because yeah. those, those are two bands I didn't like when I was a teenager because I was a, I was a big metalhead, and then. I graduated in 91, so I hit college right as grunge was hitting, so I got into that. And yeah. New Order specifically was not cool. Well, point. yeah, right. If you're into, like, metal and grunge and punk and stuff, like, yeah. New Order, unless you're, like, a Joy Division fan first, yeah. was, like, with, right. Exactly. So I've, I've only recently been getting into that, and it's, it's amazing stuff. I'm just absolutely blown away and kind of pissed off that I missed it. You know, back when it was actually happening. Sure. Anyway, uh, Brian, I mentioned you have a pretty awesome 
death metal growl, but Pony, you've got a really awesome punk snarl when you sing too. It's, you guys have just such great energy together. I, I, the album just, it just, it's a real happy sounding fun album. I love it. Are you guys, I, I know there's no touring now or anything like that. What are you guys right. doing as far as promoting the album besides coming on this podcast and well, like we're doing this, this is great. Yeah. I mean, this is great. We've got a bunch of these kind of, you know, like interviews coming up and, uh, we're, we're making, you know, we've got music videos and like, there's like for, you mentioned that song first night, which is first song on the side two of the vinyl that that's got a video that we shot a long time ago. Um, that, that will come out. And so like really this band, like our, our previous bands have been so, uh, visually, oriented like everything has been through like we, the live show is a huge part of it but so were music videos and things so so that's the world we now live in is everything is like videos and and uh that's how we'll, we'll probably mostly be promoting i mean everything is just online you know someday shows will come back but we don't know you know who we thought that they would have been back by now you yeah know? No, so things yeah. kept getting like we noticed like the calendars like the venues kept pushing, you know, like, well, we're going to reschedule, we're going to re reschedule. And then after like the fifth rescheduling, it's just like, let's just stop this, you know, and just say yeah. pack another one at the end of the year, yeah. you know, like, you know, 2021 and keep the date or just look to another time. So, yeah. And who knows what venues you know. are going to be open. At right. Who can, who can survive yeah. this? Yeah. Like who will still be standing exactly and, at and the end of this? Yeah. I actually read a really interesting article just today about how New York is basically dead and it will not, yeah. it, it may not recover because a lot of people are working, working virtually. They don't actually need to go into the city anymore, which is just having a ripple effect across restaurants. You know, uh, it, it'll be live music venues, but a lot of what in the article they call second tier cities, you know, I would imagine like, like they're talking like maybe like a Kansas city or something or, or yeah. those places are going to reap the benefits of things like restaurants opening because they don't have the huge tax burden and of, of a New York city or a Chicago. And then that's where I think live venues are going to start bubbling up again and, and reopening. And you're going to get a lot more artists playing a lot wider variety of artists playing. So right now when you guys do play live, is it just going to be the two of you or are you going to just going to have to put a band together? Well, we have Peter. Um, we got to let our dog out. Yeah, She's yeah, making yeah. Some crazy sounds. So you want to pause for a second? Edit this out. Oh yeah. We'll just let this happen. <laughs> All right. There we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the kind of stuff I love though. This, that, <laughs> So when, so when the record comes out, um, live shows, you know, when, if and when they re uh, commence, we have Peter Anderson on drums. So he plays a three piece. Okay. Tony rocks the bass. I play guitar, um, drums, and we just uh, throw it down like Husker Du style. Oh, that's you know? awesome. So the strings are going to be missing in, in, in the live. We won't have the strings, you know. <laughs> we, can, we can do samples of some stuff. Peter has a, a sampler. And a, one of the things that's in the video, you can see he's got like these pads. Like he can hit, like uh, do oh. some of the electronic stuff from that. But more more, more than anything, it just it's a little more raw live, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but that, yeah, we won't, yeah, we won't I, I like that. 
yeah. I, I do like like uh, that's one reason why I like going to shows is to see and yeah. hear a, a, a more raw version of what's on the album. So, right. I did hear um, a really interesting story in an old interview you had done, and I would love to hear you tell the story about you going into a hotel and sitting down next to a bunch of old English guys yeah. to find out who they were. So, can, what happened there? We were in Salt Lake City. We stayed at the Swanky Hotel and we had just played the Urban Lounge, which is a venue in Salt Lake City. And we were leaving the next morning after the gig from the hotel and there were tour buses everywhere, lots of old British dudes sitting around. And I remember I was like, walking past this group of guys and I heard some guy go, Hey, look, you're on the cover of bass player magazine. And I was like, and, and then we were all just kind of talking and we're like some huge band is here. I mean, whoever it is, like their bass players on the cover of bass player magazine, it's yeah. like something big and they have the, like 20 tour buses. And, and so we were about to check out. Um, I was sitting shotgun front seat and uh, here's the weird part. So on the dashboard, there was like the Who had just put out a new album called Endless Wire. Okay. And that album was sitting on the dashboard. It was the record that was like, or the CD that was in the CD player. Right. And we we're about to leave. We had checked out. And I'm the guy in the band that everybody would be like, you know, like, oh, Ryan will talk to anybody. So like, let's just make Ryan go talk. So <laughs> we we're going to leave. And everybody's like, you know, we can't leave here not knowing who this band was, you know, cause they were just sitting in the lobby and we just walked right by them and like, they're right there. Let's just go ask them. So I said, all right, I'm going to go ask these guys who they are. So I walk into the lobby and they were just sitting down and I just, you know, took a chair right next to them and they were super nice. Like they didn't, they weren't like, who are you get away from us? Like right. they were, they, they started talking to me okay. and they were like, well, you know, they, you know, they said, I asked them if they were musicians and like, oh yeah, we're musicians. Uh, uh, and they said, you look like a musician too. I'm like, yeah, we, we were here. You know, we just played as we played the urban lounge and I'm like, where'd you guys play? And they're like, well, we played the you know, Enorma dome or whatever, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then I just looked at him and, and I was like, who are you guys? And they just like, everybody just stopped and like looked at me like, and they go, uh, why we're the who <laughs> like, and, I, and, I, and it was like watch it it was like being in a dream you know like or like if you were maybe it was like this if you were sleepwalking and then you just like open up to reality like i was looking at their faces like pete townsend sitting right there i'm like i'm like oh townsend you know like oh you know it was it was pino paladino the the bass player at the oh. time yeah, so he was amazing. the cover of Bass Player Magazine. He was standing right there. They're they all sitting right there, and I think it was like Pete Townsend's brother, maybe, um, you know, who might have been playing guitar or something. But but they were all just standing right there, and they were surrounded by all these other guys, and they were – I just walked into their inner circle and uh, started <laughs> talking to them. They were super nice. Like, they were very welcoming and that totally is, cool. That is so awesome. That's the kind of story I love getting with this podcast. <laughs> I love that stuff. Where can people pick up the album? How can they order it or pre-order it? It's going on, uh, you know, I don't know when people are going to hear this podcast, but it goes on pre-sale. Um, and there, there, there are several pre-sale packages. You get a bunch of free stuff. 
you can upgrade and get like bonus things with it. But um, so from Pravda Records, the label that's putting it out from their website, okay. you can get pre-sales right away. You know, people can pre-save it on Spotify. You can, I think you can pre-order it on, on Apple Music or iTunes and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but uh, it'll be, it's coming out on vinyl and CD and it'll be out on uh, record stores that still actually sell yeah. those things. You know, the few that are so left. Yeah. So, so if you have a local record store, you might be able to go there. But for most people, you know, it'll be on every other format. So you can go to Probda Records is the place to go. I think you can get on Amazon and everywhere, but um, okay. going straight to the label is, is I think the way to go. Oh, always. So, yeah. Whenever possible. Right. Is, is there a social media presence where people can follow you guys and totally. you know, hopefully you know, shows will happen again at some point yeah. and they can watch, you know, get tour dates and stuff. Totally. Yeah. We got a Facebook. It's just Ryan and Pony. Um, we've got a Twitter account, Ryan and Pony Music. We have a um, website, RyanandPony.com. Uh, what, what else is there? There's uh, Instagram. Instagram. Ryan yeah. and Pony on Instagram. <laughs> um, I feel like, are we missing anything? Is that it? You can sign up to be on our email list. We have newsletters oh. that come out where you get like... But yeah, you know, even even without shows, like we, we send out... We've done some exclusive singles that we, we just put out for free only to people on Facebook. So oh, like, that's awesome. you know, so, so if you follow us on Facebook or like us on Facebook, there's stuff just exclusively for that. So, Oh, that is so um, cool. And Instagram. So yeah. That. So regardless of whether there are shows, we'll be, uh, providing some entertainment for everybody on the social media platforms. And it's welcome. God, this day and age, man, you, we need it. Right. So I've, I've kept you guys about uh, you know an hour at this point. Thank you so much for spending your evening. Yeah, with thank me. you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed the dogs, the cats, the conversation. It, it's it really it's been a blast. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 